0: The following program is recorded content created by The Truth Network.
1: Is it possible that
2: we've misunderstood what the
1: Bible says about homosexual practice?
2: Let me strongly encourage you to take
1: advantage of our live call-in format today and to pick up the phone and to give me a call if you have any question whatsoever on what the Bible says about homosexual practice, about same-sex, quote, marriage. Are the Bible passages, Hebrew, Greek, translated correctly today? Is there any misunderstanding, any ambiguity? If you differ with me, if you identify as a gay Christian or an ally thereof and feel that I'm missing the point, by all means, give me a call, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. So last week, the new episode of That's Debatable, a brand new show on the brand new Awakening TV network. The second episode of the show aired, it was a friendly and lively short debate. Every show is a short debate, it's a 30-minute show, with Brandon Robertson, who has been a gay pastor, was a graduate of Moody Bible Institute, so a conservative Christian school, identifies as a queer Christian today. We've gotten to know each other over the years, we've spent some time talking Uh, National Religious Broadcasters years back spent some time talking face-to-face and participated in a forum together And I think the debate went very well in terms of both sides were laid out in the time that we had very very clearly So you can really evaluate things based on scripture and of course there was civility and grace towards one another Now you can watch the entire debate on the awakening network if you're a subscriber there, but Every week, for everyone, we're allowed to pull out a three-minute highlight. So first, let me play this for you so you can know some of the, the arguments, the issues, back and forth. And, and then I want to play a trailer for you for a new movie. It's going to be coming out soon. It's going to come out with a tremendous amount of fanfare. It's going to be announced as, wow, the big thing, the deal breaker. And you'll see in a moment there is nothing, capital. N-O-T-H-I-N-G. Nothing about it that should concern us in terms of what Scripture says. But it's going to get a lot of fanfare. And you know what happens once a myth gets circulated. Once misinformation gets circulated, it becomes truth to people. It becomes gospel truth to people. So we're going to do our best to, to get out good, helpful, biblical, truthful information. First, highlights from the broadcast with Brandon Robertson. Let's take a look. Hey, everyone. Welcome to That's Debatable with me, Dr. Michael Brown, where everything's debatable, but there's only one truth. On today's show, we're going to be asking the question, is Jesus pro-LGBTQ? A graduate from Moody Bible Institute, Reverend Brandon Robertson is an author and activist. He works with political and social leaders to promote LGBTQ rights around the world. With over 132,000 followers on TikTok, he's also a social media influencer where he uses his platform to state his case on LGBT inclusion in the church.
3: I think the question is kind of a funny question to ask. Those letters represent real people. And so the question is, is Jesus pro-people? And I would say yes. Anyone who seeks to follow Jesus is welcomed to become his disciple. First that I don't believe there's a single verse in the Bible that clearly condemns homosexuality. Second, I don't believe Jesus ever explicitly condemned LGBT people or our love, but he does speak words that are in affirmation of the sexual and gender minorities of his day, the eunuchs. And lastly, I believe that God also reveals truth through science, nature, psychology, reason, and all of that overwhelmingly shows that homosexuality is natural and a normal part of God's expression in the world. Of course, Jesus
1: is pro-people, which is why he dies for us. But he tells us to follow him, we must leave everything. Jesus did not practice affirmational inclusion when he spent time with the tax collectors who were corrupt and the prostitutes, he didn't affirm them where they were, rather he practiced transformational inclusion and through being with Jesus, they were changed. Every reference to homosexual practice in the Bible is decidedly negative. Jesus very explicitly defines marriage from the beginning
3: as the union of one man and one woman uh, people did know about loving same sex relationships that did exist in the ancient world and if jesus wanted to condemn that jesus would have condemned that he never does
1: as for jesus and his teaching he is explicit he does say all sexual acts outside of marriage are sinful we know there is no question about the definition of marriage being male female at that time and as for eunuchs he's saying yeah you're welcome and you're not second class <laughs> but there's no sex and there's no marriage
3: when we're talking about all the other types of sexual sins that are condemned in the book of leviticus most of them are sins that people in the modern world would not consider sin i think we just need to be clear that the scripture is not at all black and white clear on this
1: there is no ambiguity in what the bible says the word really is clear love says transformational inclusion get to know jesus And when you get to know him, he will transform you. And then look at the fruit of where LGBTQ, called Christianity goes. And that's a further proof. You'll see a degeneration of morals, not a raising of morals. All right. That's uh, just a little excerpt back and forth. Tried to give you a little overview of who Brandon is and a little overview of the discussion. But the argument would be, look, there are gay Christians, LGBTQ Christians across a, a wide spectrum of backgrounds and practices they have in common that they love Jesus, they love the word, and God made them gay or God made them trans, and, and they, they go to church just like you do, and they seek to raise their families just like you do, and they share the gospel just like you do. And how could you condemn such good and kind and fine people? Well, my goal is not to sit here and condemn anyone. My goal is to love God and love my neighbor. So I need to understand who God is. I need to understand what his ways are, what he requires of us, what he offers to us, and then do my best to live that out personally and to share that with others. And I'm 100% sure, based on the clear testimony of Scripture, which is basically never disputed until after the sexual revolution and, and the beginning of the gay liberation movement. I'm talking about disputed on any wide church level. <clears throat> uh, there's a reason that things have changed only since society has changed, but what we want to do is be fair. I spent years studying these issues and and writing about these issues, not to reinforce bigotry, but to say, God, what does your word say? There are some very precious people, people who are hurting, people who feel rejected by the church, people who feel hated by God, people who think that God looks at them as abominations simply because they have same sex attractions that they never asked for or desired. What's your stance towards them, Father? How can I best reach them? Is there anything in your word that I've misunderstood or that translators have misunderstood, that scholars have misunderstood? Anything at all. You say, well, isn't it just clear to you that a man being with a man is, is ugly and wrong? Yeah, it's repulsive to me. The idea of a man having sex with a man is repulsive to me. Yeah, it is. It doesn't mean I don't, I don't love people and want to see them find wholeness and new life and repentance in Jesus. Nonetheless, if someone says but just look at what scripture says. Okay, that's where I'm going to start. What does scripture say? People would say, hey, look, when little kids first hear about the birds and the bees, like, no, uh-uh, not my mommy and not my not my daddy. That's not how it happens. So it's like, hey, we're just culturally acclimated to certain things or they seem weird to us. You just have to get used to it. That's the argument. Just have to get used to it. And then get to know the people and see how loving they are and see how committed they are to each other and see the great moms and, and dads that they are, etc. Moms and moms, dads and dads. Get to know them as families well. I'm all for getting to know people. I've even offered in, in the greater Charlotte area where I live, hey, you get folks together that identify as gay Christians, get us all in the room together, put this offer out quite a few times. And I just want to hear their stories. I won't res- I won't respond unless they want me to respond. I want them to tell me their stories and tell me everything they want me to hear. All right, with that, let me give you a preview of this movie that to me is much to do about nothing on a scholarly level, but but is gonna be a major thing that's pushed and it's gonna be reported like, wow, you have to hear this and see this. So let's check this out and then we'll get into the scriptures together. It's the forthcoming movie, 1946.
0: Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals shall inherit the kingdom of God. I went into this research wanting the answer, no matter what it revealed. If God said, you are such a horrible abomination that I needed to rid this planet of myself, I was willing to do that because I love God that much. But when I dug in, that's not what I found. We didn't know what we were going to find when we dug into the RSV notes. It was a letter written by a 21-year-old seminary student to the translation team saying, Hey, I think you chose the wrong word when you put the word homosexual in here. He says, I write this after many months of serious thought and hard work to point out that which to me is a serious weakness in translation. Misinformed and misguided people may use the RSV translation of 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 as a sacred weapon. He wrote the letter as David S. We found him and he's still alive?
2: So I wrote a letter and to my amazement I got a reply back about three weeks later. I received your letter and uh, there may be something to, to what you say.
0: The domino had already fallen and that word followed through to all the other mainline translations that we have today. I started weeping because I was thinking about all the damage that had been done over the last 60 years
2: lifestyle of some male
0: homosexuals has triggered an epidemic the Bible
2: condemns homosexuality as a sin
0: why did they put the word homosexual into the Bible what were they thinking the church is doubling down on this issue because they've so politicized it
1: yes so this is put out by the executive producers we're gonna do the work sorry
0: make this thing right
3: This shows that there was a mistake, and it's an honest mistake, and we have an opportunity to change
1: it. So it's called 1946, the mistranslation that shifted a culture. It's completely bogus on all fronts. Putting aside the question whether homosexual is the best word to use there, I'd say it wasn't. I'd say it wasn't. Because that would mean, even if you're living a celibate holy life, but you're attracted to the same sex, you just say no to those attractions, that somehow you're still damned to hell. So there are better ways of saying that. Like men who have sex with men, for example. And many modern translations say it like that. But the bottom line is to make, this is what shifted the culture. It's completely bogus. It is much to do about nothing. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you in front of your own eyes. We come back.
2: Line of fire with your host dr. Michael Brown get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH here again is dr. Michael Brown so in this video that we just looked at the trailer for
1: 1946 with this one gentleman saying that if he himself was an abomination in God's sight he would rid the earth of himself I guess he means take his own life but why was that the question the question is: Does God approve of men having sex with men and women having sex with women? Does God approve of male male intimate romantic sexual relationships and female female intimate sexual relationships? The answer is no. If you love God, well, Lord, how can I please you? How can you? Will you change these desires, or must I be celibate? Whatever. That's not. Am I myself an abomination? I should rid the earth of myself. So even coming into that, the. The questions were wrong. But what about this translation, 1946? What, what should we make of it? How influential was it? And if you have a question about the Bible and homosexual practice, if you think I'm wrong on any of these points, by all means, give me a call, 866-34-TRUTH. So first, let me lay out for you why we hold to what we do. A quick six-minute summary It's our video, Can You Be Gay and Christian? from our Consider This series. If you've never watched it, you can just watch it by going to askdrbrown.org forward slash consider this, and you'll see a bunch of videos like this, but animated videos. But this is the very first one that we did. Can You Be Gay and Christian? Where I lay out the basic biblical position. Can you be gay and Christian? Well, if you claim to be a Christian, then Jesus is your Lord and the Bible's your authority. So the real question is, what does Jesus have to say about this? What does the Bible, God's Word, have to say? Now. We know that every Christian struggles in some area, whether it be pride or anger or lust or jealousy or greed, but we also recognize that these desires and attitudes are are sinful, saying no to them and yes to the Lord. In the same way, some Christians struggle with same-sex attractions, saying no to those attractions and yes to the Lord. But what about those who say, God made me gay? And if I'm in a committed relationship, then the Lord is pleased. After all, God is love and love wins. And what the Bible opposes is is abusive relationships like homosexual pederasty and prostitution and promiscuity. That's what scripture condemns. But God blesses committed same-sex relationships. Is this true? Well, let's look at what the Bible, God's word has to say, starting at the beginning. There in Genesis 1, we learn that God creates the human race in His image, male and female, and blesses us with the ability to procreate. In other words, He designed us for heterosexuality. And it doesn't take the Bible or rocket scientists to figure that out. And and it's true that there are heterosexual couples who are barren, but their relationship doesn't violate God's design. Then in Genesis 2, we see that God didn't want Adam, the first man, to be alone. So he decided to make him a suitable helper, not just a companion, but a helper. Why? Because only with Eve would Adam be complete and able to reproduce. And how did he make Eve? He took her out of Adam's rib or side, which is why Adam said that she would be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then note this, the scripture says that through marriage, the two become one. That's because they once were one, the woman taken out of the man. There's a unique complementarity between them, biologically and spiritually and emotionally. That's why man plus man or woman plus woman can never equal man plus woman. In response, some gay theologians ask, well, if homosexuality is so important, why does the Bible mention it so infrequently? Uh, but you see, they're looking at this exactly the opposite way. They're looking at it backwards. It's because God designed us for heterosexuality that there's so few references to homosexuality. In other words, every single reference in the Bible to marriage, family, and relationships presupposes heterosexuality, as in the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother, and Paul's directives to husbands and wives. In a same-sex relationship, who's the husband and who's the wife? Also, we note that there's not one single positive reference to homosexuality in the Bible, whereas every single reference to it is decidedly negative. As we move on to Leviticus, we see that there were some laws God gave Israel to keep them separate from the nations, like the dietary laws. And then there were other laws God gave that applied to all people, like do not murder, As for homosexual practice in Leviticus, God calls it detestable, and it doesn't get any less detestable if you do it over and over with the same person. When we come to the New Testament and the teaching of Jesus, He really didn't need to address this because first-century Jewish teaching clearly forbade homosexual practice. Yet, in three different ways, Jesus did address this. First, in Matthew 5, Jesus said that he didn't come to abolish the law of the prophets, but to fulfill. And when it came to the moral laws of the Torah, he fulfilled them by taking them to an even higher standard. Second, in Matthew 15, Jesus taught that all sexual acts committed outside of marriage defiled. And then in Matthew 19, he taught that marriage as God intended it from the beginning was one man and one woman together for life. Coming to the teachings of Paul in Romans 1, we we see that because of God's judgment on the human race, we were given over to idolatry and sexual promiscuity and homosexuality with males and females exchanging natural sexual relationships for unnatural sexual relationships. And and when Paul talks about natural sexual relationships, he's talking about natural as God created us in Genesis chapter one. Then in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says that those who willingly give themselves to homosexuality, along with a number of other sins, would not inherit the kingdom of God. And in fact, Paul's teaching is so clear that one lesbian scholar, Bernadette Bruton, says, I see Paul as condemning all forms of homoeroticism. But Paul didn't stop there. He also wrote, that's what some of you once were, but God forgave you and transformed you. That's because Jesus died for homosexual sins the same way he died for heterosexual sins. As for the notion that Moses or Jesus or Paul didn't know about long term committed same sex relationships, the fact is they spoke and wrote by the inspiration of the Spirit. Not only so, but Jesus, the Son of God, could look into the heart of every human being. Surely he understood the struggles of someone with same-sex attractions and yet he didn't affirm them where they were, he offered them transformation. So rather than put homosexual practice into a special category as if it's the worst of all sins or as if God is fine with it, put it where it belongs, like other sins but one for which Jesus died. And rather than finding your identity in your romantic attractions and sexual desires, find your identity in Jesus. That way. Rather than interpreting the scriptures through the lens of your sexuality, you can interpret your sexuality through the lens of the scriptures. We know that none of these life-transforming right, well, messages... Uh, was right, just be jump awesome in. Without... There we go, A little ad to encourage you to subscribe and support. Okay, so, so uh, I want you to consider this, and might consider this video. The video is six, uh, six minutes long. The end is preaching the gospel and laying out God's love for all and transformation for all. And I don't even mention 1 Corinthians 6, 9, where the RSV translated the key Greek word as homosexual. I don't even mention that until about four minutes and 30 seconds into the video. In point of fact, if that verse did not exist, I could make the exact same case that God made men for women, women for men. I could base it on scripture as well as natural law. I would then look at not just the pattern with Adam and Eve, but throughout the entire Bible, that everything presupposed by God having to do with marriage, family, is mother, father, husband, wife. And to this moment, there's not a single human being walking the planet who was not the product of a male and a female. Even if artificially done or some other ways, it still takes a male and a female to produce a human being. That remains exactly the same. So natural law tells us that tells us that the whole of the Bible. And, and look, if you're reading this, you try to put yourself in the shoes of, of someone who identifies as gay or lesbian and they're struggling. They, they, they love God, they're raised in the faith, but they have these same-sex attractions and what do they do with them? And you know, if you're reading through the Bible, you want to find just something because God loves you, the Father's gracious and compassionate. You want to find something there where God says to a gay couple, hey, I'm with you. Hey, I love you. Hey, I bless you. Hey, this is, this is a, a, another form of normal, and it's fine. There's nothing there. There's not a hint. Even in the, the mini-debate with Brandon Robertson, he, he points to Jesus speaking to eunuchs, and, somehow, and again, a eunuch is someone who is incapable of sexual actions and who does not have normal sexual desire. That's a eunuch. It, 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 someone can be born that way, incapable of, of sexual desire or acts, or a man can be castrated and made into a eunuch. <clears throat> so you have to look to that, you think, with, with all the people that Jesus met, he must have looked into the souls of, of many a person who struggled with same-sex attraction and yet not a syllable to them that, that would give them any hint that he felt anything differently than what was previously laid out in the Hebrew Bible and what was currently taught in, in Jewish circles. And then Leviticus 18 and, and, and Leviticus 20 they, they they stand alone in terms of unambiguously saying that it's detestable for a man to lie with a man, the man the way a man lies with a woman, and and in particular the, the the idea of penetration would come in there. It it is detestable. And yet, well, all the arguments well it has to do with bestiality, it has to do with idolatry. It has, when you actually read through everything in Leviticus 18 and realize this wasn't just for ancient Israel. This was, this was something that was sinful for all peoples. That doesn't change. And, and then as Jesus lays things out and reinforces the ethics and morals of the Torah and, and, and reinforces the meaning of marriage, one man, one woman joined together for life, and reinforces that all sexual acts outside of that are defiling before the Lord and they defile us, And then in Romans 1 where Paul talks about the descent of human beings, the rejection of God, him giving us over to idolatry, sexual immorality, sexual perversion, and all kinds of other sins. As a human race, you don't even need 1 Corinthians 6 or, as repeated in 1 Timothy 1, to tell you that God did not intend men to be with men or women to be with women. He has a better way, as many, many thousands of ex-gays would attest.
4: God
2: of light, hear our cry, send fire. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Is it true that a translation error
1: in the RSV, the Revised Standard Version of the Bible, in 1946 opened up a floodgate of misunderstanding towards homosexuality and caused Christians in the English speaking world to now condemn homosexual practice. Well, in point of fact, the church was unified in saying that homosexual practice was sinful for 2,000 years, as the synagogue had been unified in that beforehand. There was not discussion. You can read through the ancient literature, you can read through the church fathers, the early rabbis. There was no place where they said it's fine for a man to, quote, marry a man or a woman to, quote, marry a woman. In fact, there are Jewish traditions that may have existed in Jesus' day. We can't say for sure. They may have been centuries later. But they because Jewish traditions were often passed on orally, we can't say whether they existed in Jesus' day or not. But we do know there are Jewish traditions from the early centuries of this era that said, one, that the pagans don't even practice a man marrying a man. That that was one thing. Another stated that one of the reasons that God destroyed the earth in Noah's day was because they were issuing marriage certificates for two men. This is ancient Jewish tradition. Now, again, I'm not saying that that's actually the case of what happened, nor am I saying for sure that these were known in Jesus' day, but they well could have been, but that just reflects Jewish thinking on this through the centuries. And then the law codes explicitly made it sinful, both for men and women. And of course, Paul is explicit on that in Romans 1, both men and women. Then when, when you, you, you look at church history, when you look at discussions, church fathers, et cetera, you're not going to find any ambiguity. You're not going to find any sanctioning. You say, oh, no, John Boswell proved that, that they sanctioned and blessed same-sex relations. The scholarship there has been so thoroughly critiqued. And no, he did not prove that there were ever same-sex unions, sexual romantic unions, male-male, female-female, that were blessed by the church. And that's why you don't hear that argument cited so much. So aside from the clear historic testimony of Scripture as witnessed by the church in the synagogue, what about 1946? Was this some pivotal point? Again, the, the key thing that I'm trying to underscore is, is that the church already had this stance long before 1946. That's one. And two, verses like Leviticus 18.22 and others stood alone without 1 Corinthians 6 needing to be mentioned in, in the RSV. And then you have the Sodom story. No, Sodom and Gomorrah is not a statement about all gay relationships everywhere, but it's one of these striking things that the manifestation of the sin of the city What Ezekiel 16 indicates is the the culminating manifestation, the toevah, the the detestable thing they did, was was out-of-control homosexual practice. So I'm just relating these texts. Of course I'm aware that you have plenty of gay men and plenty of gay women who who seek to live in committed relationships. The women tend to do much better than the men in that regard. And among gay men, often monogamous means one principle relationship and their openness with, with others. So, I mean, let's not exaggerate the facts here, but bottom line is, is that the 1946 RSV translation of one word in one verse was not the pivotal moment that it's being made out to be, and as a new movie soon to be released is, is making it out to be, oh, oh, this is it, this is it. As I said earlier in the show, it is much to do about nothing. And remember, in the larger evangelical world, Remember that the RSV was not accepted, that people in some parts of the uh, the evangelical world actually burned it, felt it was a liberal and dangerous translation that that changed certain fundamental biblical truths. And as much as there was some good scholarship with the RSV, there there were some methodological errors relying way too much on the Septuagint for the Old Testament translation and other things that can easily be critiqued but it has always been looked at with great skepticism. And if, if there's a translation that's been more widely used in some evangelical circles, it would be the NRSV. But even then, it's, it's hardly used. 866-34-TRUTH, we'll, we'll take some calls shortly. But let's, let's dig a little historically, okay? So let's, let's go back to John Wycliffe, all right? The, the two earliest translators of the, of the Bible, into English, John Wycliffe. So let me get his exact dates right. Um, died thirteen eighty four, and then William Tyndale. So Tyndale, I'll get his exact dates as well. Uh, Tyndale, who comes after him, and then is the more influential in terms of lasting Bible translation. So he dies fifteen thirty six, and he, he's put to death by the church for translating the Bible into English. So let's let's go all the way back. Okay, let's let's look at the Wycliffe translation. And I'm not even, not even digging into, let's parse the Greek. Let's look at all the lexicons. So, uh, whether ye know not that wicked men shall not wield the kingdom of God. So that would be inherited. This is old English, right? He's, he dies late 1300s. Do not ye err, neither lechers, neither men that serve malmits, neither men serving to idols, explained there, neither adulterers, neither lechers against kind, neither they that do lechery with men. Okay, so this is John Wycliffe. We'll leave this up for a moment. John Wycliffe, who dies in 1384, he translates, first word, malikos, as neither lechers against kind. You have to figure out what exactly does that English mean. And then arsenokoites, that's the word that's really in question here, that the RSV translators translate it with homosexuals. He translates that neither they that do lechery with men. So that's talking about, committing sexual acts with other men. that That's how Wycliffe understood it in, in the 14th century. Okay, let's look at William Tyndale. William Tyndale now, in the 15th century. Let's look at the Tyndale translation, and I'll just read partway through. Be not deceived, for neither fornicators, neither worshipers of images, that's a dollars, neither whoremongers, and obviously the English spelled very differently there, neither weaklings, So that's his translation of malakoi, which could be soft, weak. King James says effeminate. A lot of debate about the exact meaning of that in context. Scholars have generally accepted that next to the word arsenicoites, it means that the passive partner in a male homosexual act. And then look at this. Neither abusers of themselves with the mankind. Neither abusers of themselves with the mankind. This is how the King James then goes, go back and search out what that was understood to mean. This also was understood to mean homosexual practice. Okay. The word homosexual did not exist yet. There was not a category. There was the act of people who do this, men who have sex with men. You say, ah, well that explains it all. They didn't understand that people are born this way. They didn't understand that, 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 it's a loving thing, it's not just a sexual act, it's romance, it's relationship. And yeah, I understand that there's gay romance, I understand that get committed gay relationships, I understand that gays get engaged and they, they cry like everybody else and, and cry at weddings and so on and love each other. I fully understand that, yeah, uh, got, got that. Their love, their their relationships, their desires are as natural for them as, as my heterosexual desires are for me, I understand that, got it, yeah, all clear, all clear. And, and there are plenty of decent, moral gay men and women outside of homosexual practice. And they'd say, well, that proves it's fine because we're moral and all these others. I, I, I get that. I understand all that. But the fact is the Bible is speaking about relationships and acts. Those are always wrong. Plus, as I indicated, we know from ancient Jewish literature that the concept of men marrying men or women marrying women was something known. And we know in the ancient Greco-Roman world, against which backdrop Paul and others wrote their letters, that, that there, were, there was debate about, like, are lesbians born this way because they're born under a certain sign? So there was a question about people born being born this way. And, and, you know, Nero, quote, marries a man. These were things that existed in their day. And you're saying that there were no gays back then who had long-term relationships? Seriously? No, they were around. This was the world they were around in. One commentator on 1 Corinthians said the world of of the Corinthians and the Christians we're in is very similar to the world we're in today. Okay, before the King James Bible, there was the Geneva Bible. This was widely used by many of the pilgrims coming over to America. So let's look at the Geneva translation. Uh, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers, nor wantons. Okay, so what's ambiguous does it mean, nor buggerers. Buggerers. That that male homosexual, life, that is men engaging in sex with other men. That's what it is. This is centuries before, centuries before the RSV, and centuries before the word homosexual w- was invented. And, and the word homosexual was not invented by the church to put people down. It was invented by Scientists, the sociologists, and others, that, that's where the term comes from. <clears throat> so this whole idea that the RSV changed everything, I'm, I'm going back to the 1300s, the 1400s, 15, 1600s, and you're seeing how things were understood. And then the King James, the King James famously translates Malachi with effeminate, which, if you understood what it would be saying, would not be talking about a, a guy that, that maybe enjoys watching ballet instead of boxing. It would be more someone that dresses in an effeminate way, more of a cross-dressing aspect, if you look historically how the term would have been used. They're abusers of themselves with mankind, so following Tyndale. But again, how was that understood? How was it understood for centuries? Read commentaries on it. Read discussions of it. It was understood as forbidding homosexual practice. This is not some new idea, or new development, please, I urge you, don't be misled by this movie as if it's going to tell you something that's, oh, we figured it all out. And first, it doesn't deal with creation. It doesn't deal with God making us male and female. It doesn't deal with God's intent for the human race. It doesn't deal with everything having to do with marriage and, female, uh, and, and family, presupposing male-female relations. It doesn't deal with the prohibition of homosexual practice under the law, men having sex with men, etc. It doesn't deal with Jesus reinforcing the moral ethics of the Torah and reinforcing the meaning of marriage. It doesn't deal with everything Paul wrote in Romans one. So friends, much to do about nothing, but I'm telling you in advance, this is going to get a lot of attention and more will be deceived. The good news is truth will triumph. It'll take a while, but truth will triumph and people who sincerely seek God will find the truth. There's more. We'll be right back.
2: It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining
1: us on the line of fire, 866-34-TRUTH. I know I've been talking about going to the phones for a while. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go very, very shortly. But let's, let's just do this really quickly. Let's look at a bunch of modern English evangelical translations to 1 Corinthians 6-9, and I'm just going to concentrate uh, on, on the end. Let's see. CSB. Uh, males who have sex with males. It, it, right, I think it's the best way to do it. Take those last two words together. As, as even gay scholars and others have, have acknowledged. So I cite all that in Can You Be Gay and Christian? But there you go. Males who have sex with males. CSB. Do you see homosexuals there? No. Oh, I thought it was so influential. Okay. How about the, the CJB? Uh, complete Jewish Bible. David Stern. Um... It speaks of those who engage in active or passive homosexuality. So there's very specific. It's engaging in those specific acts and giving both sides of it. All right. Uh, let's scroll down and let's see what the ESV says. All right. Let's we'll scroll down a bit to the ESV. And the ESV speaks of men who practice homosexuality. So it doesn't say homosexual. It's not just a class of people. It is Practicing this, this is and it's putting those two words together. Um, the HCSB, anyone practicing homosexuality? Uh, the ISV says male prostitutes and homosexuals. So that that would be similar now to the RSV, and that I, I would say is not the best. So that's that's one similar, but so far all the others have gone in different directions. Uh, let's just see here. Uh, let's go down to the yeah, LEB, uh, passive homosexual partners, nor dominant homosexual partners. So it's focusing specifically on the sexual acts. Again, that would be relevant. NASB, adulterers, nor homosexuals. So it puts both words together as homosexuals. Not the best way. So you've got a couple following in this tradition. Uh, the NET, passive homosexual partners, practicing homosexuals. So explicit. And again, I I agree with those. Those would be accurate. Uh, Here is the, let's see, the NIV, men who have sex with men. This is the new edition of the NIV, which came out, what, in 2011? Uh, Let's take a look at the NLT, male prostitutes are those who practice homosexuality. So, you know, once again, you've got this pretty consistently. We'll, We'll stop there. The point is, it's not that after the RSV, all... The evangelical translations followed it. I'm giving you examples from the last 10, 20 years where they didn't. And I differ with saying homosexuals because, again, that makes a class of people, whereas Paul is talking about actions, adulterers, drunkards, fornicators. So it's those who live a certain way. You can be a happily married man devoted to your wife. And you're tempted with adulterous thoughts. You see an attractive woman and your mind goes to wanting to sleep with her. You say no to that. You don't go there with your mind. You don't give place to it. You don't pursue that person. Why? Because you're married to your wife. You're not an adulterer. You're an adulterous Christian. No, you say no to it. In the same way, there are plenty of, of ex-gays that still struggle from time to time with same-sex attraction, but they say no to it because they know it's displeasing in God's sight. And many others have seen Great and wonderful change. So what what pains me is that people get misled. People get deceived. And if you want to dig in deep to what the Greek words actually say, the relevant Greek words in in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and then again, 1 Timothy 1, Arsenekoites is used, then check out Robert Gagnon's book, The Bible and Homosexual Practice, or in simpler form, my book, Can You Be Gay and Christian? And then dig into the endnotes in each of the books where we dive in and go deeper or just go to Robert Gagnon's website, robgagnon.net, and look at the many articles he's written and the many responses that he's given. And you understand why so few are willing to debate him on this. Or watch the video Dr. James White and I did together as homosexual practice consistent with New Testament obedience, debating a gay pastor and a lesbian pastor. You'll see our love, you'll see our commitment to Scripture, and you'll see where the truth lies. I mean, it's, it's really simple. And then just remember, watch where things lead. Watch where gay activism goes in our society, what it leads to. And then all those that I know that are ex-gays, those that used to be in gay churches, tell me, hey, you, you hear a lot about morality, but there is a whole lot that gets justified, goes on very differently in many, many circles. And even <laughs> here, read Brandon Roberts' book and see what he says is fine, how far he's willing to go, and, and why he couldn't answer me about, well, if you take Leviticus 18 out of the Bible, on what basis is incest wrong? Between consenting adults, between two brothers or two sisters, so there can't be any risk of, of having kids with genetic defects. On what basis is that wrong? If Well, it's just wrong, we know. It. Well, I just know that homosexual practice is wrong. We've got to do more than that. We've got to have a scriptural basis and foundation. Anyway, just, just trying to help. Just trying to help. <laughs> not trying to be popular. Not trying to show I'm, I'm, I'm immovable. No, I, I love Jesus, and I love the Word, and I love people. That's why I hold to what I hold. That's why I spend so many years praying and studying and crying out to God, even laying on my face in tears before him, Lord. I don't want to hurt people. I just want to help people truth is truth friends we deviate from truth in the end we hurt them we don't help them all right um let's go to tina in indianapolis indiana thanks so much for holding welcome to the line of fire
4: thanks dr brown and thanks for taking my question um forgive me if you've answered this i was able to tune in late so you could have already but um several college-age friends of mine are questioning everything about what the bible says about homosexuality and they are Listening to someone or reading somebody online who says in the Bible the word for man, lying with man, was referring to pedophilia and not to, you know, consenting adults, I guess you'd say. And they say that the original language was translated incorrectly. Can you please comment on that?
1: It's complete myth. 100% myth, as mythological as saying that Santa Claus is the king of the moon and is returning again. I mean, there is a syllable ounce of truth in it. The only thing that they would ever say is that when Martin Luther translated the Bible into German, and, and Luther was not a top Hebrew scholar, he did his best, but when he translated the Bible into German that he brought in the subject of youth. But it's not there in the Bible. It's not there in the Hebrew. It's not hinted at. You won't find it in, in any ancient or modern translation whatsoever. It, it's, it is an internet myth, and it's gotten, you know, I actually responded to a, to a a TikTok video that alleged that and, and made that claim and these things go viral. So, so tell you what, Tina, if you will, um, give our call screener your information. What I want to do is this. Do you think these, these young people will read a book if we send it to them or I, I
4: think she would, I mean, I, I, okay. I think she would, all she right, would tell, still
1: listen. I right, tell you what, Tina, um, I'm going to put you on hold in a moment. Our call screen is going to come on and get your mailing address. I'm going to send you my book, Can You Be Gay and Christian? All right, can you be gay and Christian? Also, if you give me your email address, we will send you the link to the video where I debunk this nonsense. But as someone with a PhD in Near Eastern Languages and Literatures who has devoted decades to studying the Hebrew language, has written academic articles on the Hebrew language and written commentaries on... On biblical books in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, Job, and now Isaiah. Uh, I can assure you that there is not a syllable of truth to this whatsoever. Um, ah, okay, and, and tell you what, for everybody, thanks, team. So Tina, uh the TikTok response video. So if you go to ask Dr. Brown on YouTube, did Bible translators invent the word homosexuality? That's what I'm responding to, and this comes up as well. Did Bible translators invent the word homosexuality? So for everybody else, that's where I deal with this myth about Leviticus 18.22. And if you want to get the information in my book, Can You Be Gay and Christian? Yeah, it's, it's painful to see so many people believe myths. It's one thing that they say, look, you know, my cousin Johnny's the nicest guy in the world, and he loves Jesus, and he reads the Bible, and he and his partner, Fred, I mean, they're I mean, they're the nicest guys, and they pray together, and they, they, they do outreach, in the old folks home, and how can you say they're going to hell? Okay, now we have something to talk about in terms of the emotion, in terms of the people, etc. And And we can have an honest, loving, gracious conversation about that. But please don't try to mistranslate and retranslate the Bible to create some new theology. Let's talk about people, yeah, and how we can help people find wholeness. All right, uh, let's go to uh, Raphael in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Time is short, but please dive right in.
4: Hi, good afternoon, Dr. Brown. Uh, my name is Raphael. Uh, it's such a pleasure speaking to you. I really love the show. I watch it pretty much every day.
1: Awesome, uh, thanks. My
4: question, yeah. Uh, you're very welcome. Uh, my question for you is when it comes to, like, the conviction of their sin. So homosexuality, um, I believe it's different type of sin you know it's classified with murder and with stealing and all these kind of things but everybody intuitively knows that it's wrong now when it uh, like people don't doubt that murder is wrong some people do but i mean that's bigger issues um, but when it comes to homosexuality a lot of them don't believe that it's a sin uh they they really truly believe i was born this way so there's right. a bit of ignorance there and i'm wondering how far god's grace reaches with verses like james four that says you know for that him that I think if he if for him right to right say, hey I, I gotta
1: jump in because we're at the end here so in james 4 if, if in terms of what you know and don't know about sin god's incredibly merciful and will overlook a lot of things done in ignorance but he won't leave us there in other words if someone if a gay couple is doing what they're doing in ignorance and somehow genuinely believe it's right in god's sight He's not going to destroy them for doing that, but he will bring them to repentance and bring them out of it if they were sincere. That's for sure.
2: Another program powered by The Truth Network.